Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Today, we have the privilege to be joined by Rabbi Pesach Somer, who is going to be teaching a tshuva from the Shah's Tshuvas Melamed Lahoel. I believe it's our first one on the podcast, so you'll tell us a little bit about uh, Rabbi David Tzvi Hoffman and Melamed Lahoel in just a moment. Our topic today is we're going to be talking about the question of whether a tzibor, a congregation, is allowed to do away with the Chazin's repetition of Shemona Esrei with Chazar Sashatz and its implications for tefillah, for prayer, and for just general relating to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and how we go about that. Rabbi Pesach Somer is a veteran educator, more than 20 years, is a member of the Judaic Studies faculty and the coordinator of spiritual development at the Ramaz Middle School in Manhattan, which is, I see that's where you're seated right now. Rabbi Somer is a graduate of Queens College where he studied psychology and has smicha from Rav Zalman Nehemia Goldberg. Rabbi Somer is also a writer, blogger, and accomplished speaker. Its versatility allows him to speak on topics as diverse as biblical criticism, Hasidic thought, and its ramifications for modern Jews and losing and regaining one's faith. He lives with his wife and eight children in Psaic, New Jersey. And uh, Rabbi Sommer, I know we've corresponded so much over social media. Uh, this is, I guess, getting closer and closer uh, to the in-person. Uh, we should be Zoha very soon, but thank you for joining me today and thank you for joining our listeners um, so I think if you can start off and just maybe tell us, uh, what interested you, what's the Shaila we're dealing with? I know I mentioned a little bit already and what interested you in this particular topic? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, uh, Rabbi Kurtz. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. And as you mentioned, we're going to learn from this is from and it's a it's Simran uh Siman Yudbeis. I, I can speak for Dieter Ashkenazis, but I, I guess I'll go with uh, you you you, uh, you can choose you can choose whichever one you want, just uh, to face the, the microphone on your screen. We'll hear you with the most clarity possible. <laughs> right, right. So uh this is actually part of a number of chuvos. It's Simon Yudbeis, where he was it, it, the way it, it's written, Badaklan Mar, Hashiv uh, right? So basically, I, I don't know who it's written to, it doesn't say, but he's basically being asked, there are these mechadshim, and I think it's important to remember of Dovetzvi Hoffman, uh, this is probably being written um, late 19th century, early 20th century, dealing with, still within Germany, within Berlin, the whole world of reform, reformers, trying to make changes to the way things are traditionally done. And so he's being addressed with a whole bunch of changes that I'm guessing probably someone within an Orthodox school wants to make. And this Rav feels that he has to sort of figure out how to respond. Um, I'm guessing that he doesn't want to do it, but he needs halakhic backing. And then there's a whole bunch of different ones. We're just going to look at the first one, which, as you mentioned, is about whether or not Chazar uh, Sashats is still necessary. Right. And I, I assume the Mechachim here is not referring to those who write Chidushe Torah. Uh, it sounds like, as you said, it's referring to those who want to reform the religion. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Just to clarify that. 
So, so okay, so, so the question is um, doing away with Chazaros shots. So this isn't a particularly new question. I think um, uh, he references the tshuva of the Rambam. Uh, going all the way back to the Rambam, he already uh, was asked about this necessity. And I think if I, if I recall correctly, in the tshuva of the Rambam, there was, um, he said there was so much talking going on in shul that uh, we were losing the whole purpose of Chazaros shots altogether because people weren't even listening in the first place. Right. It's, I, I think that Rambam is very popularly known because I think there are a lot of people who, for all sorts of reasons, some of which uh, often alludes to here, uh, want to make davening shorter. And and so it's it's sort of like one of these things that are very uh, handy or maybe convenient to know if you're trying to make the argument for why uh, or how <laughs> to cut down on davening. Well, another another uh, trope that you see is that they say, well, we see that the the Spartan, uh seem to be able to cut it down. So why can't we do it? And this is, I guess, just one of many examples where Ashkenazim are looking over their shoulders saying, geez, why can't we be like the Spartan? Of course, it only when it comes to the leniencies and not to the uh, the stringencies. Uh, of course, the the slichos is the is, is probably the most common example of that. Who wants to get up for chatzos? Uh, okay. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I always find it interesting when, um, you know, I mean, at least the Rambam is obviously the Rambam, but I find sometimes people know Sparty Rabbanim literally one sock that they made because they said something that they actually wish they could take on. So you find some Sparty Rav literally don't even, you know, barely know how to pronounce his name, have never seen his safer, but but he says what I want, and that's good enough. I've got someone on my team. Let me know. And and so that's and and that's sort of essentially what he's sort of dealing with over here is that you know I mean you, you don't get any more Ashkenazi than Germany. You know I mean it's literally Ashkenaz, and yet all of a sudden you know they're so oh but the Rambam said you could do it, and I think that that's sort of you know that that thing. I think you know in theory if you know if this was a different time, a different Shiloh being asked, there could be a different discussion. But I think the fact that he is responding specifically to Mahadshim. Uh, you know, I think I think that's really essential over here. This is not just about you know a particular halachic point, but sort of you know a much bigger thing, which is one of the things that you know. I mean, it's been a long time since I became interested in Rav David Tzvi Hoffman. Uh, you know, he's very well known for his 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 pushing back on biblical criticism. But one, you know, I've always loved Shilas and Shuvas. Excuse me a second. As you mentioned, we're in a school, so that's the bell. Maybe a little background noise. Oh, we don't but, even hear um, it. What I love with his with his chuvos is that you know he's dealing. He's right there in the trenches. He's really he's dealing with with uh, sort of you know reforms already established by now. It's not like it's right at the beginning, but it's clearly these things that are, that he's dealing with. He's getting like wild childs. I remember years ago. Um, when I was in Kolo, there was one, you know, this couple, they, they were supposed to do chalitza, but they wanted to get married. You know, and the question is, could they do yivum, even though you're not supposed to do yivum? I mean, crazy shows, but things that were really coming up, and they're very real, and they're very, you know, sort of, he, he's right there in the trenches. And and so I, I think that in, in this shuva, it's very, very clear, uh, almost, you know, they're sort of, okay, I'll address it halachically, but then I'm going to address it hashkafically, because this isn't really just about... Okay, looking it up in the sources and finding yes or no. Yeah, I think that that, that point's really well taken, which is kind of the social context of the tshuva. Uh, it reminds me a little bit, if you ever saw that safer, uh, Yom Tov Sheni Kehilchasa, um, which was written, I think, by Rosh Kolo in Texas. I'm, you'll forgive me if I'm forgetting the name, but it's easily searchable on Otsar Achachma. So he has a whole nice section in there where he 
marshals all these sources in support of Yom Tov Shel Galios and uh, in maintaining it and not doing away with it. And it's uh, he quotes a few sources, maybe it's the Marshal or it was something something of that nature, which said that um, well it, w- it would have to be later than him, I suppose. That basically that there were those who were trying to reform Judaism and Yom Tov Shel Galios kind of became a flashpoint for one of the debates between the traditionalists and those who wanted to reform the religion. So many times what happens, like what you're saying is, is that you could have what is a maybe a technical halachic issue that if any in any other context, if the stakes weren't as high, maybe we would even see those on the more conservative end being a little bit more flexible on halachic technicalities alone. But you're saying here is that he sees this as a flashpoint uh, for a defense of the broader institution of our religion. And that's where the stakes get very high. Exactly. Right. But uh, he does actually raise some uh, some halakhic arguments as well. So I, so what I'd love to do is maybe you can uh, summarize for us. Uh, on my end, when I when I re- went over the tshuva, I counted, uh, I think, five different arguments he makes, but maybe you had a different count and it'd be interesting to compare notes. Um, so what are... What what's his uh I guess his psaac is like you said is that he's going to try to defend our halakhic institutions and I'm curious what are what are his um, defenses that he marshals? That's an interesting thing. There, there's really two parts. There are two paragraphs, and they really are two different things. The first one is halakhic. Okay, it's a sort of, essentially like he's saying, you want sources, I'll give you sources. That's what a tshuva has to have. It's not just for me to share my thoughts. And then there's the whole second one where he's going to say, okay, I, I gave you the Makaros, but now let me let me tell you what I'm thinking about over here more than just yes or no. Um, but but initially, as you mentioned, I, I, I didn't I didn't count in terms of uh, you know sources, but he starts off uh, he quotes uh, Rav, Rav Avram Emden and the Sefer Tzor Hachayim, and he says that uh, you know there it says it's very clear that there is a chiyuv to say Shmona Esrei Belachash to say the quiet Shmona Esrei and you see, it's really he keeps on using this term hamachadshin, and it says, and he, you know, and he pushed away what the machadshim say, and and now they're quoting the, the Rambam, they're quoting the Radbaz, also Sfardi, and um, and and he it basically says, but Avram Emden pushed that away, mm-hmm. um, and then he says, um, I don't know who this Rav Berliner is, a Rav Rav Aleph Berliner. He says, even if you want to say about the Sfardim, you're trying to do away with everything, and they only do it by by Musa. Hmm. And he says, so that's his second argument that, okay, even if you wanted to do it, you're, you're pushing it too it's far. Like, Dio love him in a dinlios kinidon. You know, you can't learn more from than what the origin that you want to learn from actually supports. Right. And then he says, and then he says, okay, and just, but fine, but that's still, that's, that's, that's right. We can't change our minhag. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, essential thing, which you know, often comes up in these kind of things that we, that we're talking about. You know, I mean, you know, when you were saying before about sort of what 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 is sort of couched in halachic terms, but is often about a lot more. Uh, you know, I often think of you know kidneyos, and you know where there's you know there's a big difference. Okay, so you want to you, you want to stop keeping kidneyos, stop keeping kidneyos, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, don't pretend this is just a halachic argument. You know, and that's what he's saying. You know, in other words, okay, great. You know, yeah, okay, there may even be precedent among the Sephardim, but we, we're we're Ashkenazi. We have our minhagim, and uh, it it just doesn't it doesn't work this way. This is not the way the halachic process works. Right. So he so his first argument seems to be that of minhag and that of halachic formalism. 
What I found interesting also is uh, it looks like um, in my version, two lines down from there, he quotes the mugging Avraham regarding Piyutim. And uh, he mentions that because, especially in Ashkenazic liturgy, we developed all these additional Piyutim and, uh, you know, prayers in order to flourish and enhance uh, the davening and the Shemona Esrei in particular, uh, one might not actually be Yotze the Shemona Esrei because of the piyutim that are interspersed in the Chazar Sashats during Yom Tov and even if it's done on Shabbosim, which is very interesting because if, if it's so much of a hefzik that I wouldn't be Yotze by listening to the Chazan say it, then why are we putting piyutim in the Chazar Sashats? Wouldn't that be a hefzik vis-a-vis his Shemona Esrei as well? It's um, – I'm curious in general, just, um, you know, Putin in general has always uh, – I, I imagine, uh, for our listeners who don't know a little bit of about our background, Rabbi Somer is uh, – I think you're, you're someone who's very passionate about tefillah, very passionate about, you know, expanding people's awareness and appreciation for tefillah. As Chatani Maskir Hayom, I, Moshe Kurtz, could do a better job at emphasizing tefillah um, within my own discourse. So me, Moshe Kurtz, sitting in the pews on Yom Narayim, I have a hard time appreciating these piyutim. And I, I almost wonder sometimes if there is a, you know, they're there to enhance the davening, but do we get to a point of diminishing returns in which we just make it longer and longer and longer that I'm not even able to focus on what the essence of the davening is forget just chazars hashats but now we've taken chazars hashats and we've even expanded it beyond what chazal originally dictated yeah absolutely i mean i i'm i'm sure you're aware um that uh i, I think at least once or twice i was at yu for the um no rhyme and and they say every pew pretty much because wow. of salvation felt like uh you know again you talk about it culturally but salvation felt like once you allow people to start playing around with the mafzer or the sitter, you know, okay, okay, we'll take up Putin because they're not so essential. Well, what goes next? So they sort of, you know, his thing was, okay, we're going to say every single Piyut, even though I suspect that personally, you know, he, you know, I mean, uh, maybe we're even where he had davened, and maybe they weren't even all there. I, I don't know, but 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 either way, it's sort of, you know, why is it, where is it coming from? Right. And that's thing, if you, you know, if you ask me, I mean, uh, I'm certainly not into, you know, they have these machzorim with the extra piyutim, and I'm certainly, I, I, I'm certainly one of those people. I'm not, uh, you know, if if it's not one of the really beautiful or meaningful or nice to sing piyutim, where it says some congregations say, I, I'm not disappointed <laughs> myself to not say every single one. I mean, I definitely think there is, uh, you know, for for. You know, one of the reasons I think where people struggle with davening is just a lack of familiarity of Hebrew. And then you throw in the fact that it's not only in Hebrew, but it's also poetic, uh, you know, like slichos, like kinos. I think these are these are things that are very hard for, for people to, uh, to to appreciate. Right. So, he's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting argument. If you made it today, oh, if we get rid of this, you won't be Yotze the Piyutim. I don't think any people would say, oh, OK, well, I, I don't want to risk that. I mean, I think people would be. Uh, Willing to lose being you know whatever whatever you know, but I guess maybe in Germany that was a uh, that was right. an additional argument that would maybe matter to people. And what I would say is it's so fascinating how um, piyutim for many, especially on the Yom and the Rayim and high holidays, have become almost more emblematic and more important in some people's minds than the actual ikker of what one is chayiv to daven. I'll, I'll give you an example. So just um, I brought up one time 
um, at some kind of meeting at the shores during a shear. I, I, I gave a shear on Piyutim and Asfardim, Ashkenazim, debates about Hefzik, etc. And I said, you know, I don't think it'd be the worst thing if we, uh, if for some Minyanim, if they felt they didn't want to do Piyutim, I don't think it'd be the worst thing. And then I had all these, like, you know, congregants of people listening to the shear, like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's get rid of the Piyutim. And I said, I just want to mention, you know, Nisana Tokef uh, also happens to be a Piyut. Like, remove a Nisana Tokef from Donna? How can you do that? Well, I said, look, if you're categorically against Piyutim, you got to be consistent. So, uh, right. So, like, how do you start playing around like that? Um, one could make the argument, I think, that maybe they were put in there initially with the understanding of, that it could be shifted around, though that's not so clear. Um, I believe I believe the Ramah and other Ashkenazic postgim, uh, they were they were very they defended the the integrity of the Piyutim. So, okay, that's that that's an important point. So this is all within the the halachic formalism section, minhag, hefsik, piyutim. So, but you mentioned that in the next paragraph, he then segues, he said, okay, now that I've established from a halakhic standpoint, why we can't play around and just simply revoke Chazar shots due to convenience, what is his more ethical argument that he makes to defend it? Right, so that's it. He uses his lesson, he says, okay, you know, that's like, fine. I've given you, I've given you a lot of things, but let's, you, you want to talk about this. Let's talk about this, like, you know, openly and honestly and intellectually. And he starts off with talking about what tefillah is. He talks about, you know, as we know in the Gemara and Brachos, he talks so much about everything we learn from tefillah's Khana. And he says, essentially, tefillah is, right? She's speaking on her heart, in her heart, and her voice is not heard. And he he says that tefillah is he goes on he says right? anyone who really wants to pour out their soul before Hashem with kavana in order to do this it's 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 this this personal private quiet thing where you pour out your 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 heart before Hashem he's sort of the let's you know he's putting it right there on the table let's remember what tefillah is. And I think this is such an important reminder for us because I, I know for myself, sometimes I get stuck on, okay, I, I want to make sure I say every word in the sitter. But to what degree am I investing in it? To what degree am I really, I mean, I say this to my students all the time. Davening is not reading words. It's not saying something. It's not reading from a book. It is pouring out your heart to God. And sort of if you say every word and you lack that, it, it's almost Iker Chazar Mena Sefer. You really just lost the essential act. You may have said every word, but you almost it's like you haven't started to dominate. Right. The, the the words are to bring you to this certain mental state and connection with Akadash Baruch, you're saying. So if you're just um uh you know uh, Rabbi J.J. Schachter, he would say, okay guys, let's um let's uh dive it. we gotta dive up the source sheet over here. And then he would, you know, Tokhide Dibor make a remark saying, obviously, I don't mean that davening is about just reading it up, but I, I always get a kick out of that phraseology that he would joke about because people read it. I was gonna say like they're laning, but maybe laning shouldn't be like that either. So that's that's not a good yeah, analogy yeah. either. Um okay, so so you're saying and, and right, what what the line that really spoke to me in, in that section is that he says, 
So even if there's people among us who don't have the, aren't ready to have that level of kavana during davening, just because you might not have kavana doesn't mean we should tear down the entire institution and minimize davening to the point that your neighbor, that your fellow congregant won't have the opportunity to have kavana either. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was listening earlier this year uh, to a podcast um, with uh, with Rudovidal Weinberger, and he said something which I think would be very surprising. I, I don't know him well. He's on the staff at Oraita. He's uh, you know very uh, Hasidic, neo Hasidic. I don't like that term, but whatever, whatever, however you want to define him. And he he was uh, it was actually I think it was an internal podcast, if I'm not mistaken, from within the the yeshiva itself. Oraita has has a podcast. And he was, he, he said something very interesting. He says the person in their lifetime, how many real tefillos do they have like this? And he suggested, I think the number he said maybe, I think was seven. And, and it's interesting. You would think, you know, oh, if you're the Hasidic type and every single day, you're done. No, I, I, I think there's a real recognition that for all of us, that, that, that sometimes I finished the Shemona Esrei and I said every single word and I didn't think about God once. But there's a difference between saying, okay, that happens to me, that happens to me too often. I'm even comfortable with that happening to me. Just saying, and, and, and I'm okay that that never will change. I'm never, right? There's never going to be a moment. There's never going to be a war, you know, with, you know, going on in Israel. There's never going to be a sick parent, a sick child, whatever it's going to be, where I'm going to want to pour my heart out to God. That's what he's saying. Okay, you'll tell me 99% of the time you don't get it. Fine. But to, to do what you're suggesting and to get rid of it, is to be okay that possibility. Mm. And I, I think there's there's a lot, there's something really, really deep in that. Is he's not, you know, he's not pretending that his balabatam are what they're not, or that the people, you know, everybody has a meaningful feeler, that most of the time it is. But he's saying, but you know, and, and this is what was Rabdovidal's point on this, you know, he said th those few tuilos where they're real, where you're really standing there and where you really forget, you know, you really, you know, it's almost like there's this like bittle taking place and you're just, I mean, that's everything. You know, I mean, um, it, it, it's interesting, Rabbi Avram Shulman, who's a Rebbe at MTA, he's also a Shul Rav in Passaic, uh, you know, he, he spoke about that growing up, I won't mention the community, um, and just for the, you know, not to be controversial, I won't even mention who the Rav was, who we saw, but he was growing up in a modern Orthodox Shul, where everyone davened these, like, very short Shemona Esrays, and one time they had a guest there, a very famous and controversial guest, and he said he just davened this long Shemona Esrays, the first time he ever understood there was this idea of really doing more than just sort of, as you said, you know, davening up the Shemona Esrei. And it sort of opened up for him the possibility that it could be something more than that. And 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 that's, that, that's what Dov Tzviafen seems to be saying here, is that even if you're a person who doesn't connect to it at all and you just, you rush through it and, you you know, you'd be fine to just be Yodzi, someone else saying it, you never, if you shut this off, you're never going to have a possibility of, of, of a, the real davening experience. Right. And, and your articulation resonates with me a lot, making sure that we have the potential that on that day that I need to have that kavana, I'm not going to be shortchanged by, uh, you know, by a, what do you call it, the, the matzah minyanim. So the, I guess I want to just push back a little bit and get your thoughts on this. Um, there is a halakhic concept. It's a real halakhic concept with halakhic ramifications of tirchadet sibura, which is, really imposing on the congregation's time. So I, I guess I wonder, on the one hand, we want to keep davening long enough and have uh, ex, you know enough content in there 
that those need to have kavana will be able to have as much kavana as they want. But I almost feel like there is this fallacy out there that the only place one could daven is at many. Now, obviously, our davenings elevated through minions especially if one doesn't have kavana then minions especially good for you because your tefillahs will make it into shemayim uh without having the best kavana because you're with a minion but i, I almost wonder if someone really wants to have a whole hispotidus session and someone really wants to stop and shman esray for an hour uh, they can't really complain that the minion is moving faster than they are because it, it's not like it's us or to daven the rest of the day we daven three times a day, Shachris Micha Meirev, but that's just the baseline. You can choose any other time of day you want to talk to Hashem. So I, I wonder if there needs to be some kind of balance here at the same time. And I guess well, where I, you draw the line is, is is really the question. So that's the thing. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a rub of a very well-known modern Orthodox school, and I was, I was, you know, the truth is, I grew up in a young Israel where. You know, davening uh, started at 8.45, which meant that I got there about 9, 9.15. And it, it still went, you know, till about 11.30. And there are many non-orthodoxuals that go, you know, solidly till three, you know, three hours at least. And I I, I said to my friend, I, I can't daven in those places. I mean, to me, I want, you know, Shabbos morning, I want a two-hour chakras. But not by cutting out on davening, by cutting, there, there's just so much downtime and 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 wasted time and schlepping um, that's where I think you can do it. And and the truth is, I think he gives a little muster here. I mean, really, you know, this is, you know, later on towards the end. Um, he says that, um, he, he says at the end, what are we going to gain by 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 this hischadshus? Chamesh, you know, ad eser dakos, you know, five to ten minutes. And and look, you know, if we were de dealing, if, if someone was coming and saying, look, I'm a Baal Musser and I have my entire day mapped out. And if you give me five to 10 minutes, it will give me more time to either to help at home or to learn Torah or whatever it is that I do. But I, I, I can't help but feel the people who want, you know, diving to be shorter, um, you know, on, on Sunday, not only watch, you know, both NFL games that are on, but watch the pregame and the postgame and the post-postgame. You know, it, it, it's people who, are, you know, I, I, I'm not someone to talk about Bittelsman. I, I waste far too much time, but at least I, I'm honest and I don't pretend that I'm someone who every minute of my time is used well. That, you know, that's five, you know, that's what he's saying. You know, he's, if you say, okay, I'm going to make davening, you know, an hour shorter and these five to 10 minutes that you're going to gain by cutting this out. Really, what is, is you're on the couch playing Call of Duty or something, right? So your your point that that resonates with me a lot. And uh, to any congregants who are listening to this, close your ears. So there, I find uh, I run the eight a.m. minion at our shul, which is the you can't go over two hours. Um, otherwise, you know, chokvul yavor, yaharigval yavor. You know, you get misas based in um, if you go over two hours on a typical Shabbos. I find that there is a strong correlation between the people who really want to get out as fast as possible and the people who don't stay for the sheer uh, following Kiddush after the minion. And I find it a strong correlation between the people who do stay for the sheer who aren't trying to move along davening as much. So I happen to be someone who doesn't like a very long davening. Um, I've found, you know, Torah material to read at times where it's 
hopefully dubiously mutter to do so. But I think your point's very well taken, which is how many of us who are complaining about how long davening takes are really then going on to learn in the base manager three hours afterwards or are actually that meticulous about maximizing our time to the extent that we have a legitimate taina, a legitimate claim that davening is taking five to 10 minutes too long for us. Yeah, exactly. 100%. One point I just wanted to, to raise um, we're, we're doing some Yeshua Leibovich at my shul right now in our book club. We try to diversify our portfolio of different people. Don't worry, this won't be super controversial as far as Leibovich goes. But in his um, in the first chapter, this is a very lovely book. I have his Shiles and Shuvos also, but uh, I can't see with the with the blur over here. But uh, Eliezer Golan put out a book summarizing or uh, translating some of his essays. So when he's talking about prayer, he makes this argument. He says, everyone is capable of reciting verses of praise when in good spirits. To utter many halukas when one finds no joy in nature or in life is the act of the truly religious person committed to prayer and printed with the stamp of the sages. So what I, what he's getting at over there basically is that I feel sometimes that on the one hand, we want to encourage kavana. And I see many Rabbanim will get up there at the pulpit or in some other context, and they'll say, Rabbi said we have to have more Kavana and Tefillah. There's this going on in Klai Yisrael, and that's all true and well taken. But I feel like sometimes we don't appreciate the people who they're not as e – the way they're wired is that they're just not as easily inclined to having Kavana and to be able to concentrate well during davening. And yet they come anyway. Because they know that minion is a value and arguably for men, it's an obligation. You know, I, I think there's almost, we, we don't always, I'm speaking broadly, not you. I'm saying broadly speaking, I feel like we don't give enough appreciation and credit to those who don't naturally connect to davening and have a hard time with it. And they come anyway because they know it's the right thing to do because that's the ruts in Hashem. So I, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, I think, I think uh, uh, Jeffrey Fox essay on Facebook, I think was had a post about this: the difference between people who are into davening and people who are, you know, or mocked on minion, and it's not necessarily, you know, so much of an overlapping group as much as you would think. Um, and I remember there was years ago there was this sort of I think it was a poem maybe someone wrote about the about how they used to sort of look at the old men who sort of mumbled through davening and looked negatively, but then they came to have a, a respect for them. I, I don't deny any of that. I, I, I think that, I, I certainly think that that, that, that davening, I, I always tell my, my students, davening is hard. Anyone who tells you it's not is is lying to you. It, it's not, it, 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 it's avoda. It's something that you have to work at. Uh, and and I definitely think there's an appreciation for someone who is willing to keep on showing up even when they're not getting so much return, you know, or so much bang for their buck. Um, where I would where I would sort of push back though is, do we just say okay that's it that's who they are, or do we try to educate or ex expand? And I would say particularly in the world of modern orthodoxy, I I, I think that you know I mean I I. I I don't think this is uh, actually true where I work, so I think I can say this. Um, I think a lot of modern Orthodox educators have a hard time with davening. And I think that, that we, you know, sort of, you know, it's very easy to get on your high horse about your Talmudim who are not davening. But if you look around the room many times in schools, um, you see teachers whispering to each other during Chazar shots, taking, taking attendance, uh, responding to emails on their phones. Um, you know, I, I think one of the places where I think modern orthodoxy could and 
I would I would think has to do much better is to being more than just a a, a text intellectual uh, religion. You know, and that's thing. I mean, you know, you don't get any more intellectual than Rav David Tzvi Hoffman. I mean, he was uh, he 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 was he was addressing a lot of the big academic questions. You know, he wrote about the origins of the Mishnah, and he dealt with biblical criticism in, in German. I mean, this this is not someone. This is not some touchy feely, you know, uh, happy clappy type. And yet, he's it, it, the same one who is capable of you know of, of really existing in that world of academia and the world of the intellect is someone who's saying davening is this this intimate pouring out of the heart. And I think that that I think that that, that to the degree that modern orthodoxy in many places continues to be intellect only and just about you know texts very coldly learned without any sort of bigger thing. Uh, I, I think that's where we fail. I mean, I think that's why um, many, many places are bringing in, you know, people like, uh, you know, what, you know, my, 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 my Rebbe Ribdov Zinger trying to uh, try, trying to work on these things. And, and, and what I love about his approach is it doesn't start off with, oh, the congregants, they should do better, or the students, they should do better, right? He, he said when they wanted to work on why davening wasn't going the right way in his school, he said for a year, they had meetings with just the Rebbeim, where do we struggle with our davening? Mm. And only then, when they sort of talked about that and recognized the challenges, after a year, then they were ready to talk about, well, what can we do for the Talmidim? And I think that's the thing. I, I think, you know, those of us in Chinuch or Rabbanis, as in your case, uh, uh, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, you know, the Balabak and the Talmud. But, what do ourselves? And I was this morning with one of my other rabbi, and we were um, we were talking about, you know, it's interesting, you know, I mean, we're so into learning the words of Chazal, Mishnah, Gemara. The sitter is a big part of, you know, that's also, it's, 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 it's not a text that was put together at once, but it's, if you want to understand Davni, if you want to understand a lot of Hashkafa, the sitter is a really good place, you know, to, to, to start. And yet instead, all we do is we turn it into a, book where you have to mumble words. So I think there's a lot that can be be said in that regard. 100%. And I, I would add one thing, which is just uh, one more line from the Chuva that really spoke to me and I think speaks to the idea that you can't outsource your spirituality. Uh, he says, You know, how can you, how can a Jewish person take Paro's philosophy? What is Paro's philosophy? I'm going to, I'm going to outsource my conversation to Hashem. I'm going to have Moshe Rabbeinu do it on my behalf. He'll intercede for me to God. But actually, we have the opportunity three times every day in Minyan and then anytime personally to communicate directly with the Melch Machim Lachim HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And so that's a very integral part of any Jewish person's spiritual life. And it's something that we, we can't just put on the side. We can't disregard it. And the, your point's very well taken that Rav Dotsi Hoffman himself, he had he has the street cred to say it. He's uh, he's very intellectual. He's very learned and very academic. And still, he's the one who's saying we can't just disregard and underrate the importance and centrality of prayer of tefillah within the Jewish person's life. And I think that's that's a really important lesson. Uh, Rabbi Sorin, with, yeah, with, I... our, with our one to two minutes left, um, I want to just ask you if there's any concluding thoughts you want to share on tefillah. I know you have so much to say about it, so I'll also ask, um, because I know you have so much to share and we are constrained to time, maybe you could let our listeners know where they can learn more of your Torah ideas also. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, that, you know, that line was very powerful to me as well. It's it's really, you know, I mean, we're coming on, you know, we're not too far from Shmos with the parashios of, of Paro. And it's, it's sort of saying, you know, to, to be a Jew is to not outsource your religion. And, and I think particularly in a day and an age where we, we can outsource everything, where we have someone doing our, you know, our, our taxes and almost, you know, and, 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 and where we have people just anything we don't want to do, we can find someone, you know, we can pay someone to drive carpool and we can pay someone to anything we don't like. And, 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 and I think to, to turn davening into something like that, okay, we have a chazan in the shul, like his job is to daven and I'm just sort of, you know, I'll, I'll <laughs> sit on the side and, and he says, you know, maybe, right. Are you really going to listen? Are you really going to answer Amen and listen to every brach? I mean, that's the thing. If you, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, we wouldn't talk through Kiddush on Friday night, you know, how many people he says are going to get through, uh, you know, the representation of Marna Esrei and, and actually be, you know, listening to every word in order to be Otsei. Uh, you know, that's a, I, I think this, you know, it's one of the things, it's one of the reasons why all those years ago I fell, fell in love with Muhammad Lahoil, you know, when I was in, was in Cole, is it, it's, it's so real. He's, he's just, he's so deeply real. He's living, again, you know, in these very challenging times, um, being asked these very real chuvos, and he manages to be in a lot of different worlds at the same time. He's not someone who's sort of in the, you know, ivory tower who doesn't understand what's going on out there. Uh, I, I think this is just such a powerful chuva. It's one of the things um, why, why you know, Shalas and Chuvas, I love this project that you're doing that speaks to me is because it really does, when they're when they're done well, it, it shows halacha as this, this living organism, is this something which is just, you know, where it's not just you look something up in a book, but, but it, you know, as we said, you know, if this conversation was happening in a different time, in a different place where there weren't these machach, it might be a different uh, discussion. Uh, and, and as you said, I mean, uh, you know, this is something it's very, I'm very passionate about, not because I'm a great davener, but because I, I, I care about davening, I care about my relationship with Hashem. Um, I, I, I do put a lot, as, as I think we initially met through Facebook, I do put a lot just on my Facebook page. I always tell my students that, that you can use social media, uh, you know, it's not just TikTok, you know, but you can actually, you know, there's a lot of Torah content out there. I've met a lot of uh, wonderful uh you know, B'nai and B'nai's Torah through it, in real Tamidei Chachamim. So you can certainly find me over there. I, um, email RabbiPesach at gmail.com. And I, you know, I mean, uh, I, I do have my, uh, I think you at one point you said, you know, going out on the, uh, what did you call it, on the podcast circuit. I mean, I've been on a few different podcasts. <laughs> this is the first one where I've gotten to sort of talk a little bit about about halacha and things like that. So I, I really appreciate that opportunity. But uh, anyone who wants to be in touch, um, I, I would welcome the opportunity. And it's our huge schuss to have you here on the podcast and to talk halach and to talk hashkaf and talk tefillah with us. Right, Pesach Somer, thank you so much for your insights and HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give you continued hatzlacha in all the amazing things you're doing for educating the next generation. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.